0: Hello everybody and welcome back to another edition of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket. I'm your host, Peter Delapena, and on today's show we have a very special guest on the eve of the start of the 2021 Caribbean Premier League. Former USA player, current West Indies player, and current Barbados Royals player after the franchise changed the name from the Barbados Tridents, the 2019 CPL player of the tournament, Hayden Walsh Jr. Hayden had a very, very short, but very, very powerful career for USA from 2018 until 2019, playing for just under 12 months in the red, white, and blue helping them on the path to achieve ODI status. He subsequently was the CPL player of the tournament in 2019 and parlayed that success into a call-up to the West Indies squad. And he's coming off a career best series For the West Indies career best in international cricket period. Where he was the leading wicket taker in the T20i series against Australia in the West Indies. And then followed that up shortly after by taking his maiden 5 wicket haul in ODI cricket against Australia. During the 3 match ODI series for World Cup Super League points. And so he's in fantastic form at the moment. He's hoping to get the Royals franchise back in contention to claim another title after winning the 2019 CPL title and fingers crossed for Hayden Walsh Jr. He will also be a prominent member of the West Indies squad in the upcoming T20 World Cup which will start in October in the UAE. But on today's part of a two-part interview we're going to talk about Hayden Walsh Jr.'s U.S. career in particular It was a bone of contention for him to reject a contract offer. So we'll talk about that a bit more in detail as to his reasons why he decided to leave USA at a time when he really had intended to stick around for the long haul. And we'll go into a whole lot of other things as well about his USA career. But first, I want to give a shout out to our newest Patreon subscriber, Laltsa Prasad. If that name sounds familiar to some of you out there. It is because he is a prominent coach in New Jersey who has helped a lot of players develop and attain USA national team selection at under-19 level and senior level. And he's also the father of our most recent guest from the last episode, Ryan Prasad. So thank you for all you do for cricket in New Jersey and across America, LALTA, for helping not just Ryan achieve his goals and dreams by getting to play for the USA under-19 national team, And now the Jamaica Tawas, but also so many other players. And you can do like VALTA has done by subscribing to Patreon. Everybody who does helps to keep the podcast running. So I appreciate everybody's support. I want to remind everybody that the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast, presented by Dream Cricket, is also sponsored by Musa Cricket Stadium, the first and original turf wicket facility in the state of Texas. For more information, call 713-534-2195. That's Moosa Cricket Stadium in Pearland, Texas. Hayden Walsh Jr. Hayden, good to see you again.
1: Thanks for coming on the show. Good to see you, buddy. Thank you very much. How is life? <laughs> life. Uh, do you mean in a bubble or out of a bubble?
0: All of the above.
1: <laughs> in a in a bubble, um, uh, it's alright. Out of the bubble is is pretty okay, I would say. But yeah, I'm, you know, I'm I'm enjoying life. I I should say.
0: But you enjoy more outside the bubble, and we can't yeah, blame more, you for
1: that. more outside the bubble. Yeah, for sure. <laughs>
0: For people who are not aware, how you became to be qualified to play for the USA in the first place, born in the Virgin Islands, U.S. Virgin Islands, and you grew up basically most of your life in Antigua. Your dad is a former first-class cricketer for the Leeward Islands, and that's how you got involved in cricket. But you come from a very, very athletic family, cricket and non-cricket. You've got a brother who's an Olympic sprinter. I've seen you on the field. One of the fastest guys on the fields. You also I've seen you in warm ups as well, throwing the American football around with the tightest spiral in the USA squad. You look like <laughs> you could do just about anything you wanted. So what's it like growing up in a family in, in that environment where the internal competition is almost as intense, if not more intense, than the external competition you would face outside in any other sport again cricket or non-cricket
1: yeah well growing up with my brother especially you know he he is slightly younger than me but you know we got to the age where we could play together and compete you know in the backyard and you know it really got really tense either cricket football you know bike riding you know it was just always a tense environment at times and sometimes those. Those tense moments break into fights. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah. Um, I should say that I, 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 actually grew up pretty competitive and always wanting to win.
0: Now, was it always wanting to win at cricket first and foremost? Was cricket truly your first love, or did something else grab your attention to first?
1: No, it was, it was always cricket. Um, I, as, as you said, my dad was a former first class cricketer and you know, after that he 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 went into coaching so he did like he coached the Leeward Islands on the nineteens and on the fifteen senior teams and he even had his um cricket academy so every Saturday was just cricket academy. We'd just be at I don't know, the coolest cricket ground. He had it there and I just remember just being just playing cricket there every Saturday and you know, whenever I got the opportunity.
0: For somebody who's not grown up in the islands or in Antigua specifically, what is life there like in general, cricket or non-cricket? If you had to paint a picture for somebody who is not from the Caribbean, or again, not from Antigua specifically, how would you describe what, what life was like for you growing up?
1: Yeah, you know, comparing to where I've been, life there is very laid back. Things kind of move a little, well, not a little, but a lot much slower. It's smaller for sure. So I went to school in England, and I remember going to England. I remember making the observation that everywhere I go, I can see the sea. But being in England, I couldn't see the sea. And if I do see the sea, it wasn't it wasn't as blue. So, <laughs> I would, yeah, it was really really nice, laid back, small. Uh, it doesn't take you. More than half an hour to get anywhere, and you know cricket wise, everyone's passionate, everyone's everyone wants to win. It's a really nice place to be.
0: What part of Antigua specifically did you grow up in?
1: I grew up in the the middle, but my family's from the south. you know I would be in the south most most of the time, where you know you got players like Kenny Benjamin. Winston Benjamin, Curtly Ambrose from that part of the the, the island. Now we only see Kenny Benjamin. He is actually the coach of our club, um, but you kind of see Curtley um, every every now and then pass through. So you know, it's a very pleasant place to be.
0: Now, speaking of of dual internationals like yourself, and you bring up the Benjamins, we saw Ray Benjamin. In the olympics recently yeah, for the usa that's... sprinting an incredible race where he finished second to yeah. the norwegian but again he's somebody who's uh, born in new york represented antigua initially in track and field before then going on to represent usa in, in the olympics so there's a couple different families that are in your situation who have that dual nationality how well do you know him and his family and what was it like seeing him race in the olympics recently in tokyo
1: I don't know if you know that, you know that's Winston's son, right?
0: Yes, yep, yeah. absolutely.
1: All right, okay, yeah, but um, you know, I was I was actually rooting for him. I, I really wanted him to win the gold, but you know, him winning the sil- silver medal is you know just as amazing. I could imagine Winston's face right now with a big smile in his face, cause he he's into well, he's you know he's a sportsman and he's into like horse racing and that stuff. I'm sure you know him his having a son that's an Olympic medalist um he might not be a horse but <laughs> you know you <laughs> should be happy about that
0: you touched on going to school in England you went to boarding school in England on a scholarship I believe in Kent and one of the things you did when you went over there told me once you got into rugby you were pulled into playing rugby and being on the rugby team I think it was what was the sports culture like beyond cricket for you in England? And did you ever give any serious thoughts to perhaps pursuing rugby or a different sport professionally beyond cricket?
1: I remember going to England in September. So, you know, cricket would have pretty much been finished by then because of the, the weather and everything. So I arrived there in September and it was just getting a little chilly. <laughs> yeah, I just remember the first day of school, the guys were just passing around a rugby ball, and I was like, oh, what's this? And they were like, it's rugby. And <laughs> I don't know if, they, if the guys knew, but they were like, so I'll kick this, and you're going to go run and catch it. <laughs> I the guy kicked it, and I ran and I caught it, and everyone was like... <laughs> I was like, what did I do? <laughs> From that day, I, well, I played in the B team for the, the under 14s. And I remember being a second row. I didn't really enjoy being at second row because it was just like a lot of tackling, a lot of pushing, not much running. And, you know, I was just like, oh, this game needs to be over. Then there was a point in the game. Probably in the last five or ten minutes, like the ball was fell in front of my my feet, and I picked it up and started running. I literally I ran from our five meter to the other try line. Everyone was like, "I went left everyone, and uh, I didn't know where to put the ball i I thought it was American football where you put it in front of the post. <laughs> and as I was like, Going to put the ball down. I heard someone say no, <laughs> and yeah, it, it didn't count as a try because put it at the wrong place. <laughs> but then the second, the second game I played the, the other weekend, I scored like three tries <laughs> in the B team, and then I went up and yeah, I, I enjoyed rugby. Um, I, I'm actually, I actually re- really wanted to play it a little bit more. But I didn't, I didn't continue into sixth form, so I only played up until from third to fifth form. But yeah, I really, I really wish that I had a little bit more time playing rugby. And I also played hockey. I also played um, field hockey. And um, you know, I'm left-handed, and the sticks are only right-handed. I I, I remember scoring this this goal where the guy like passed it and I literally straight drived it into the bottom of the, um the, the goal. <laughs> and I don't know, I don't know what it was, but it was just so much instinct to just use the other hand, use, turn it the other way reverse and just kind of like, like the perfect straight drive into the bottom of the goal. And the goalie had no like chance to, Either go left or right. <laughs> so yeah, and I like I remember someone saying after that, I, one of the parents come come up to me after that. He was like, "If you really want to, you could play for England." I was, but I, I don't know. I I was always a cricket guy.
0: One of the uh, sports that is, if there's a way to put it, under recruited in terms of the U.S. environment, it's hockey. Whether it's ice hockey or field hockey for for boys or for girls. That I I grew up playing hockey, and I felt when I was trying to drive and cover drive or straight drive, it was most transferable. All the things I learned in hockey, driving, yeah. just the hand position on the stick, and playing the ball off the ground. One of the things that people miss when they make constant comparisons to baseball is that baseball is played on a different plane. You're playing the ball up here yeah. in the air. <laughs> You're never going to play the ball off a bounce in baseball. Yeah. Whereas in hockey, or in another one I, I always refer to as tennis, where, again, you're you're playing the ball off the court, playing the ball off the bounce, you need to be able to read the spin and the, the slowness or the fastness of the surface. If it's a clay court versus a grass court versus a hard court, the ball reacts differently. And the amount of spin that's produced by the wrists coming off the tennis rack and all that, those are the things that are so much more transferable to cricket. So I completely identify the way you talking about playing a cover drive or a straight drive. Uh, <laughs> using a hockey stick to score a goal. And uh, I'm not surprised in the least that you had success as a hockey player to hear somebody <laughs> say that uh, if you stuck with it, you could have played for England. But again, going back to the question, did you ever, I know you said cricket was your first look and it was pulling you back, but did you ever genuinely seriously give any thought long-term to potentially you could see a professional future in one of those other sports. Did you ever give it a thought or, or never really got that far in your mind?
1: Uh rugby a little bit. Because I had I had the speed across the ground. But I never I ne because I never like went on into sixth form in, in England, I just never really got the chance to be in the environment and to develop into a rugby player to see where I could go. After after fifth form, I went back to to Antigua, so and they, of, of course they don't play rugby down there, so <laughs> my rugby playing days literally ended. So I, uh, even though cricket was my first love, I did have that thing where you know I want to see how 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 far I can go in, into rugby, but it wasn't a thing where you know, okay, I'm actually gonna start preparing for rugby. It was just. Just just a thought. Um, hockey. When that guy told me that, I was like, "Hmm, that's another option that I could explore." But I uh, I I don't think hockey was like on top of the list. It was either cricket or rugby, and you know, cricket first, and rugby maybe, but and then hockey. Yeah, okay.
0: How much did playing those sports in the competitive manner that you did contribute to enhancing your appreciation for cricket or just also helping you to avoid burnout? Because one of the things I find fascinating about a lot of parents and a lot of kids coming up now, especially in the U.S. cricket culture, and I find it somewhat alarming, is the insistence from a very early age on specialization. And I see a lot of parents funneling their kids into to nothing but cricket 24-7, I feel like it's a recipe for disaster in a number of different ways. One, for burnout. And two, I think it's underestimated just the fact that a lot of the elite athletes that I encountered growing up were three-sport athletes in high school. I went to high school with—there was a kid, Eric Duncan— who was in my graduating class in high school, who was a first-round draft pick for the New York Yankees. But he wasn't somebody who played baseball 365 days a year. He played other sports. And you found that also with some of the players on the football team. There was a kid, Andre Callender, who became a running back at Boston College. He got an NCAA scholarship at Boston College. He set all these state records, state rushing records in the state of New Jersey and, and high school records at our high school. But come in the spring, he was running track, he was running the 100 meters, he yeah. was doing other things outside of football. It wasn't just football, football, football 24-7. Yeah. So I'm curious, from your perspective, even though you grew up in an island where cricket is the predominant sport, how much of an influence in your career were these other sports to just allow you to experience other things while still maintaining that passion to come back to cricket?
1: Yeah, I I think it's very important, you know. Um, a lot of the, a lot of like we talked about hockey. Hockey can translate into cricket, and you know, um, oh, because of the weather in England, you can't play cricket all year round. You gotta find something else to do. You gotta find things where it can translate. by you, if if you really love the sport, you will go always go back to it. So playing rugby playing hockey. I actually did run run track a little bit in in England as well. It gives you a little break off of cricket. You take things from those sports and take it into your game. I found, like, my wrist work in terms of... I find playing the reverse sweep easier to play. I'm a left-hander. So, yeah, I find it actually easier to play than the, the actual sweep. And I I actually think it comes from, you know... That hockey slap where it's, you know, the the right-hand hockey slap. Just being able to do that from an early age. Now coming, coming into a cricket career, being able to just, you know, groove that because of being able to practice with that, my right wrist, you know. In rugby, I took one thing, you know, in rugby, it, we, you know, it's just like the diving part of it and the tackling part of it. I'm not afraid to get on the ground and probably dive for a ball. I find guy the West Indian guys, they don't really dive a lot. And that, that, that's like a general thing. They don't necessarily dive. Like I was speaking to Jason. We were playing a game and somebody hit a ball. And I was like, Jason, dive! And he was like, I couldn't get there. I was like, you just, just dive and put your hand out. <laughs> but I think you know, it's just like a general thing where we're, we 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 never really grew up on proper fields where you can dive. So diving is not a thing in the Caribbean. But because I grew up playing rugby and being able to get on the ground and dive and that stuff, I think that translated into my cricket.
0: It also helps when you're not six foot eight trying to dive.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you know, you get these big guys in in rugby. They're diving to make a tackle, and <laughs> but you know, I I found I found just a few of those things help translate and help to keep those um, basic techniques like you know the the hand eye coordination in in hockey. You know that helps that helps to to um, you know keep on practicing and take it into cricket. So you know. I would say to parents, you know, yes, it's good to specialize, but also give them other stuff so so that they don't burn out and to also help them groove those biomechanics and those basic techniques that they need for cricket.
0: Now, coming back from school, you you said rugby was almost enforced in terms of uh, ending your career because when you came back to, uh, to Antigua, there wasn't a rugby, so yeah. that's... That ended your options for you. But when did you truly start to take cricket seriously from a professional mindset?
1: I would say after I came back from school. I remember my my, my dad and I, we were going to um, the college in Antigua. The only college in Antigua. And he was trying to find me courses to do. And I was like, so isn't there any sports stuff? Because... I want to play cricket as well, and they were like, "Well, no, you got to do maths, English, science, <laughs> or if you if you wanna if you want to do like construction, you can do construction or economics." And I was like, "This isn't gonna work out." <laughs> I literally told my dad that if you let me go to college here, we're just gonna be wasting time. I want to play cricket, and that's what it's gonna be. So he was like, "Well," All right, you're gonna find your job, and you know you can practice and work. Focus on your cricket, and from then on, I think it was probably what 2009. Yeah, from then on, I was you know focusing on actually making Western news.
0: And you say you wanted to put school aside and focus on cricket full time, but at that time, early in your career. The professional structure for contracts in the West Indies was still kind of not quite at the stage where guys could earn a full-time living year round. The current contract structure for the the PCL and the domestic or the regional contracts for the West Indies is really only a recent phenomenon where guys can earn a living to support themselves on a twelve monthly basis. One of the jobs I know you had, you you worked as a teacher at one point. you were a PE teacher at a local school. So what was it like for you trying to balance full-time cricket ambitions while also having to get another job to support yourself?
1: Well, looking back at it, it was was kind of tough, but I think I was very determined to make it big in in cricket. I remember waking up at 5 in the morning to go to the gym, and then after, I would have a shower and then go to school, and then after school, I would go to practice, school would end like three o'clock and I would drive to practice. Most of the times I would be there by myself, you know, just bowling balls and all that stuff. It was tough, but I didn't see it as, you know, a, a big burden because I knew where I wanted to go. So I just made it my duty to make sure that, you know, I get my whatever it is that I need to do done so I can make it to the highest level.
0: Prior to making your first-class debut with Leeward's, you actually played under-15 and under-19 cricket for Leeward Islands in the West Indies Regional Competition. But then getting that first-class first 1st cap in 2012, what did it mean to you to be able to represent Leeward Islands after coming up the junior pathway?
1: It was yeah, It was a big thing, you know. It was really an honor to... You know, make the first class team and having my, my father done the same thing, you know, I just felt like if like I was just kind of on the same level as my dad and his achieve, his, 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 you know, in in where I wanted to go, it, it was just one big step in achieving the goals that I, I, I wanted to.
0: Your dad, I want to go back to him for a second. I know you touched on him before. He had the academy, which was influential for a number of cricketers in the region, not just yourself. Having been a first-class cricketer himself, touched on there, wanted to follow in his footsteps. You also had your Uncle Vaughn, Hungry Walsh, who was part of the family tradition playing first-class cricket. But just your dad specifically... His impact on your career, I know we talked about this before in previous interview, but what do you feel was the number one lesson he gave to you to help you become the player you are today?
1: Yeah, it's definitely mental toughness. You know, he really was big on being mentally tough and using the mental aspect of the game to, to win games and to get through tough times. It's, it's definitely something that I would preach to anyone who who wants to know what's my secret. That's so big in, in my game. I remember he always saying, well, you know, cricket is 90% mental and 10% physical. So, me being fit and being able to run and jump and dive and everything, it would mean nothing if if I didn't have my mental right. And Playing the highest level of cricket now I see this value of it, and i see I see it happen to me and to everyone when your mental is not there it's 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 you know you can't really do much even if you're fit you have to have that mental toughness and you have to be mentally strong to to play this game
0: one of the things that I've always observed about you from that standpoint as well is i would put you into a classification as somebody who is a, a confidence player. When you take the field, you look like when you're performing, your confidence is at a much higher level than a lot of other players. You, you just look like you want to win. I don't want to say in an intimidation type of way, but you look like you are going to outwork and out hustle and just do things with more desire than whoever's on the opposite side of the field and you're just willing yourself to victory and in that sense not to be disrespectful to your skills but i feel like there are far more talented players who have represented usa in particular who have achieved very little because they don't have that desire they don't have that mental toughness desperately underachieved compared to yourself who has maximized your talents i've seen this from number of athletes in different sports and I find it fascinating and I just want to ask you do you feel that there are better talented more naturally skilled players than yourself and do you feel like you have outperformed them whether it's for USA or for West Indies or coming up against opponents because might not have necessarily been as skilled as other players but you had that work ethic drilled into you and that mental toughness drilled into you where other players who may have had it easy and it just came naturally to them, they don't have that work ethic, they don't have that desire. They don't have that mental toughness. And it creates so many situations where you do find yourself outperforming them in key situations.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Like I do I do think that there are other people who are way talented than me and they you know once once they want it they can perform Um, you know at such a more dazzling and (laughs) you know they have all the skills but she's just a desire you just need to want it more and I I really want it I really wanted to be successful and I would stop at nothing to be successful so early on as I said me and my brother we'd play in the backyard and we would be so like competitive we want to win we want to say oh yes I beat you definitely from then from such a a young age being competitive and always wanting to win you know no matter if i have the skills or not i'm gonna find a way how to like get out on top so yeah it's it's literally down to that you have to find a way how you're gonna get out on top no matter the situation that's literally my mentality
0: now, in terms of first-class cricket, trying to find a way, Will, your your way to get into a position to achieve that dream of international cricket. You were bouncing around first-class cricket for six years between Leewards and Barbados, and because there's only six teams, essentially, and seven if you throw in uh, the CCC squad, in the regional first-class set of opportunities are limited, It's not like England where you've got 18 counties or some other countries where the first-class structure seems to go on forever in a place like Sri Lanka, maybe, for example. There's tight competition for the spin roles in particular. For example, with Barbados, you're in the same squad with Ashley Nurse. And at the time, he's a West Indies spinner. So it's difficult to try and get opportunities at state level, let alone compete at international level, because you've got an international spinner who's the first-choice spinner in your state squad or your, your island squad. All those things are kind of in consideration when the opportunity for USA comes around. You know, you had this out there always on the table for you because you are born a U.S. citizen. But when did you seriously consider for the first time wanting to take up that option and that opportunity to pursue a career with USA if it allowed you to further your overall cricket ambitions?
1: I think it was when um, I played CPL 2018 and I came in contact with Khalil, Ibram Khalil, because we were on the bench a lot. So I was like, oh, you know, I, you know, I have a U.S. passport. I was like, what? <laughs> and, like, he literally, I think he literally called um, Coach Pupudu the same night. And I think probably about two days after I spoke with Coach Pupudu. You know, I still, I was still, it was like probably never gonna happen because who are we gonna play against? I, I didn't, I literally didn't know about that world, so I didn't know about like the divisions and ODI status and all that stuff. So I just thought that, you know, it was just gonna be like a few games here and there, maybe against Canada, and then they came for the Super 50 after that. And then I was with Barbados, and I wasn't being treated properly. Uh, well, I think I wasn't being played, and so I was like, you know what? <laughs> I'm really, I'm really losing it here. I'm, I, I need another option. So the US were actually playing in that tournament. Well, after CPL, we kind of lost contact, and we never really, we never really explored the option again. But then, you know, when they came here, I contacted. Khalil and ask him if he was, you know, still interested in me playing. Yeah, and then I think that is when things really got serious. Um, I played the Division Three and then the Division Two. Yeah, and that's how it started.
0: Again, for people who don't remember the timeline, you were in the Barbados team. USA comes to Barbados for the Super 50. This is October 2018. And while you're playing for Barbados, you're actually named in the USA squad for Division Three for Oman, which was supposed to take place a month uh, later. And the reaction was not universally positive, <laughs> shall we say? <laughs> Including from yours truly. You took some, from somebody you never even met. Who the hell is this guy? What was it like having that baptism by fire almost in a sense? Not necessarily on the field, but off the field. People who didn't really know you were not, again, universally positive towards you jumping straight into the team. Because, again, for context, there was a whole process that was laid out by USA Cricket at the time where they made it very, very clear that... If you want to play for USA, you have to come through this whole combine process and whole trial process. No exceptions. Anybody who wants to play for USA has to come to these trials in Texas, has to go to your regional trial first before Texas. No exceptions. That's the way to play for USA. Everybody is going to get treated the same. No special treatment for anybody. And then Hayden Walsh Jr. and Aaron Jones Absolutely. suddenly get the most special treatment of all. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, I was I was kind of naive to it because I was like, I'm just gonna go and destroy these guys and because <laughs> I didn't I I as I told you I didn't I didn't necessarily know like the 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 world of associate cricket so I didn't you know me playing first class cricket I thought that I was a little superior I already had. A leg up already because I've played first-class cricket. I'm I'm a little bit more experienced and all that stuff. Not to say that you know I was gonna go and you know just destroy everyone, but I think I was confident going like going into to that Oman tournament, especially after you know we had a a small camp in North Carolina before we went, and I scored a hundred in in a practice. <laughs> so like it wasn't, it
0: wasn't just any hundred by the way you got to cut in here i think in that match it was like a really sticky wicket, and the team yeah. the, the scrimmage team that was composed for that match that you were on i think there were like 50 for six or something like that when you yeah. came in and you scored 100 from a very precarious situation and it was almost a, a harbinger of things to come because over the course of your u.s career that was what was your trademark yeah. on the batting yeah. side coming into very difficult situations and digging usa out of trouble
1: yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I remember being on that sticky wicket and <laughs> I, I, I don't know what happened. Like I, everything just clicked. And, you know, as as I said, like coming into, you know, that environment with the experience that I had, you know, I knew how to, you know, operate in those um, situations. I've been in England where you get those kind of wickets almost every weekend so yeah i was i was really confident going into playing um that tournament all the naysayers i (laughs) i wasn't i wasn't i i i see where you guys are coming from but i wasn't really like you know too bothered because i i literally just wanted to play some cricket that's all
0: Well, you won me over quite quickly, and I think you won (laughs) a lot of other people over quite quickly with your performances, especially on the batting side. And on that point, coming from the West Indies system where you were being treated primarily as a leg spinner, you never really batted higher than eight in the first-class system because, again, the the talent is so rich and the depth is so good on the batting side. Did you feel, coming into the USA side, that you were being brought in to be a leg spinner – or did you feel like you were a genuine all-rounder and that was going to be your role on the team?
1: So I remember when we were in Barbados, I had a small trial with the U.S. team. Like, they had a net. And I went, and I went. I, I remember bowling for about, like, 45 minutes. And my mind was more on bowling. I probably I probably batted for, like, 10, 15 minutes. So, like, going to, go, going to North Carolina for the, the camp, I was my mind was literally on bowling. I, I didn't really have been, have any intentions of being having such an all-round role from North Carolina on. I've always been in those situations. So after after Oman I, I quickly realized that, you know, I'm probably gonna have to be an all-rounder in this team. And I'm gonna have to bat more. So you know actually after after that tournament I went away and I started working on my batting a lot more. And the bowling was always there; it never really like fell off, but it was always there if we if we need because you know we had Timir, we had Nosh, Bob to bowl a little. You know, it was more. I I uh, after the Division Three, I was I started focusing more on my batting and you know being able to play in the middle and to dig. You know, if if ever there's problems come in and settle things down
0: one thing you touched on earlier as well you spoke about coming in as a first class player you felt you were superior to to what was the culture of associate cricket i've always felt that when i speak of associate cricket i never compare it in terms of a talent standpoint i'm never going to try and con somebody to say oh it's it's the most exciting form of cricket on the planet because The batters can cover drive just as good as Varad Kohli or Joe Root and the bowlers are bowling 90 miles an hour. That doesn't happen at associate cricket, or if it does, very rarely. You have maybe a handful of bowlers who can bowl at that speed and batters of that class. But where I do feel associate cricket is the most exciting cricket on the planet is the tension and the drama and the context because there is so much at stake and the consequences are so dire if you lose a match or win a match. Now, having that be your first tournament, Were you oblivious to all of that stuff and it was almost a benefit to your performances where you didn't have that mental baggage of some of the other players who had experienced such heartbreaks and such losses in previous World Cricket League events that you didn't have to think about that stuff because you never experienced it? Or were you aware of the consequences and the context of what was at stake?
1: Yeah, for sure. I I, I would say that have been playing um associate cricket. No, I wouldn't. I would never compare associate cricket to international or first class or whatever. Associate cricket is a is a different ball game on its own. But you know, just coming in and not knowing like, okay, well, you know, you really need to get it right right now. <laughs> I think that would that would that would definitely you know be a factor that. In my mental game where, you know, I just wasn't really thinking about, you know, if we lose or if we win. I was playing pretty free and I was like, all right, let's go and play some cricket. Whatever happens, happens. But I I definitely didn't have that tension on me, especially playing in the Division 3. I was just so, like, naive to, you know, what was actually going on around me. Um, I just really just... Went out, uh, you know, free and just did what I have to do. When we played in Namibia, I definitely did feel the tension because I actually, well, I knew what was going on and I knew definitely, well, you got to get it right because if we ain't get it right, we ain't getting no contracts or nothing. (laughs) But, you know, by that time, I've already, like, made myself, made improvements and our team got better and we were able to, you know, function as as a pretty good group. So yeah, I would I would say coming in, I was I wasn't thinking about all of that stuff. I was just as as the West Indians would say, I just wanted to beat ball and take crickets.
0: <laughs> you did beat the ball quite a bit for USA in those pressure situations and looking through the records for USA in fifty over cricket, you hold two marks in terms of the highest partnerships for USA for the fourth wicket. You talked about Namibia, the match against Namibia, that thriller that went down to the final over fourth wicket record partnership for USA with you and Aaron Jones, 127 runs for the fourth wicket. That's a USA record. And then also you hold the sixth wicket record also with Aaron Jones, 131 runs for the sixth wicket. And that was against Denmark in Oman. So two very, very, crucial situations, whether it's those two games or another game, is there any moment or any sequence in particular that is especially memorable for you in terms of being proud of, of a performance that helped USA to victory on that path to achieving ODI status?
1: In my in my head, when I think about playing for USA cricket, I have those just planted in my head because I remember especially the denmark game i went in and the score was like 80 for five or so 87
0: for five
1: yeah 87 for five <laughs> and before i went i kind of looked around and everybody was like everyone was literally just hanging their heads and i heard dalos dot da, um kevin darlington saying go and enjoy it son something he said to me and like i was like all right guys just chill i'm gonna go and I'm gonna do the business and against Namibia as well it was kind of the same situation I think
0: you went in at 98 for three in the 25th over so the scoring rate was quite slow the, yeah. their bowers were in control of the match
1: yeah yeah and I just I just remembered like there's this thing that happens to me some I've noticed like sometimes especially in like pressure situations I feel as though like it's just me, the bowler and the non striker, or it's just me and the batsman, like there's no crowd, there's no teammates, there's no fielders, and you know, I literally can't remember anything but the bowlers and me, and I don't know what it is, but it it happens it i it happens to me especially in those pressure situations. And I don't know if it comes back to the mental toughness and the all the mental training my, my dad has implanted in me. But when a game is on, that is when I feel like I am most turned on. If the game is some I, I find, like, if the game is, like, if nothing is going to really happen more, it's just not so tense or important, like, I find it hard for me to... And stay in it, in a sense, and to just be so competitive. So, you know, I, I actually, I really live for those pressure moments. I live for being in a moment where, you know, I have to, it's either do or die.
0: And you succeeded more often than not in those moments for USA, helping USA get to ODI status. And one of the things I found quite ironic was in all those pressure situations, you performed quite admirably coming through especially with the bat and then your failures for USA generally speaking were in games where nothing was happening or there wasn't much running out of, or USA had already secured their spot they had already yeah. secured i status and it was like not that you took it less seriously but in some way it was as if you switched off a little bit that you didn't really respond as well to situations where you weren't needed as much and when the team needed you that was when you rose to the occasion whereas if promotion was secured or if it was a a third place playoff match and there was no nothing riding on it, it was like oh well it's not gonna matter much and
1: yeah yeah it was that 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 is what I would say is my um is one of my downfalls is when and you know those things those things help stats you know those small games where nothing is really on it, those help your stats to stay up there. But yeah, I I do find it's you know one of the things that I kind of tend to fall into, and I, I'm actually trying to trying to you know to get out of that because if you if you continue doing that, you can get into bad habits and you can do the wrong things. And when 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 the when the pressure time comes out, you. Actually, start doing the wrong thing. So you know, it's it's one of those things that I I must admit that, that I've done. Like especially in the the I remember the last game in Oman against I think it was Singapore. Singapore. I didn't really do much, and I could tell you like I was literally so tired <laughs> because people don't realize that associate cricket is such like a taxing um. On your body, because you we play like two games and then rest and then two games and then rest and then you're out. I don't know how it would have been if that last game was like do or die, but I was just so I remember being so tired. I was like, guys, I'm I'm just gonna be here for your support. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're through, but I I really can't really I really can't go much more right now. But, yeah, definitely, I I live for high-pressure moments and moments where you know, it's do or die.
0: You helped USA achieve ODI status, but then your final tournament for USA was kind of a downer, and USA failed to qualify coming out of Bermuda for the T20 World Cup regional qualifier to move on to Dubai for the upcoming World Cup that's going to be happening in the UAE. Is there anything... Beyond that, that you feel regret about or if there was an ideal way that you could have finished your USA career, what do you feel was left to achieve that you didn't quite get to achieve in a USA uniform?
1: I would say getting getting to a World Cup, coming into the US team, it was always about getting to the World Cup and getting through the divisions to get to the World Cup in 2023 and then the T20 World Cup. I really wanted USA to to be on the, the the that world stage where you know the whole world is watching and we know how US US people are once US is playing in any sport or in any you know world stage you know the whole country watches and you know I really wanted to take the US to that I either the T20 or the the 50-over the World Cup. Um, and I would say that that would probably be, you know, one of the things that I, I have, I should have achieved before my USA cricket career has, um, you know, finished. Not to say that I knew that it was going to be finished in 2019. <laughs> but <laughs> I, you know, I was really, you know, banking on us to, especially get out get out of that um, america qualifier i thought you know we were we were high favorites going into that tournament uh, and it was really disappointing not qualifying for that to go through the next stage
0: so a lot of reasons why usa didn't do well in that tournament uh, some of which have been documented by me and some by other people one of the significant events before that tournament was the coaching change and the management change, having poobu dust and i believe And having the new regime come in and it seems a little bit chaotic from the outside and i'm just curious for somebody who went through it firsthand what do you feel was the number one reason why usa underperformed in that event was it to do with the the coaching change and the instability in, in terms of leadership in that regard or was there something else that you would pinpoint as the reason why the players struggled to live up to the expectations
1: I think we we lost our 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 formula in a sense because we were still trying to find it um at that point because playing in the division 3 and division 2 you know we would prepare well and we would do all we would make all the stops in preparing for both well especially the the, the division 2 I wouldn't Point my hand and say, "Well, oh, um, leadership was bad, or the players weren't good enough." I think, from an organisational point of view, everything wasn't quite together. So things were things were just separated a little bit, and we couldn't really bring everything together to make one. Compared to the, our our previous two um, ICC tournaments, it, it we really fell apart in that
0: tournament you touched on earlier about if you guys get odi status there was some nerves in in that and some pressure on that because if you knew if you won you were going to get a contract and then all of a sudden the contract wasn't quite what you expected it was going (laughs) to be and just things around that aside from the fact that when you went to the cpl for barbados tridents and and perform you became player of the tournament and that obviously was a significant factor in getting selected for the West Indies. But there were other factors, too, on the American side. Take us through that whole experience in terms of what, if anything, could be done to have kept you with USA or was going to the West Indies just inevitable no matter what happened after you got the player of the tournament in CPL.
1: Me, me going to play CPL, it was more, I think it was more of like a, well, me playing for the West Indies was more of a off-the-field kind of decision. I like I enjoyed, I enjoyed playing with the guys, and I enjoy being around them all the time and all that stuff. But it came to a point where you know I I really need to make a living, and I didn't see myself, you know, going forward with USA cricket because I didn't like well, for for a player of my my caliber, I didn't I didn't think that it was good enough for me. To accept that contract, and that would only kind of just limit me um in a sense limit me and limit the team, you know because if I do well on the franchise stage, then when I come back and i I bring those skills back to u s a cricket, then you know the team is gonna benefit actually, one of the things in the contracts where you know I wasn't allowed to go and play franchise cricket, so I thought that that was thought that was just limiting me and limiting my horizons in a sense, you know, for playing CPL or playing IPL. So I wasn't I wasn't too happy, especially after that T20 tournament. Well, sometime during the T20 tournament, I wasn't happy either. So I got drafted into Barbados. I was like, you know what? Whatever happens, I'm going to play for Barbados you know because it's just I'm I'm just I'm just not happy play I wasn't happy playing for USA I just started to lose it a little bit
0: Straight from the horse's mouth, you heard it here from Hayden Wallace Jr., why his USA career ended on such an abrupt and sour note, and it's USA's loss, but it has been Hayden Wallace Jr.'s gain to continue on his career path with the West Indies, and we'll get into all that and more in part two in the next episode. I also want to remind everybody to subscribe to the podcast on YouTube for the video version or Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor FM for the audio version and plenty of other outlets where podcasts can be downloaded and streamed. Until next time, I am Peter DeLaPena reminding everybody,
1: God bless America and God bless American Cricket.